Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Essence art director and former Hypebeast editor, Ashley Kim, has a brilliant spirit and inherent instinct for what looks good and is emerging in culture, fashion, and beyond. Her deeply layered family history is rooted in her grandparents and parents' incredible North Korean immigrant story to Canada, one built upon love, sacrifice, tenacity, and the grit to build a good life and business empire from nothing but sheer hard work. That drive to follow one's own path lives in Ashley too. From her days as an editor at Hypebeast in Hong Kong, vessel operator at NYK's European HQ in London, to art director at Essence in Montreal, now a $5 billion company after recently receiving an investment from Sequoia Capital with plans to expand into Asia. In this open and honest conversation, we dive into her family story and the Korean values instilled in her from a young age, her introverted childhood, the ins and outs of being an art director, what it means when someone takes a chance on your talents, and much more. Please enjoy this deeply personal conversation with the bright mind and sensitive soul of Ashley Kim. Ashley Kim. Hi, May. Hi, welcome to The Craft. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you? I am today. I'm, I'm feeling very good that you're in here and we get to have another interaction. We've had quite a few this summer, which is awesome. It's been so nice getting to know you on another level. Mm -hmm. And um, usually I connect the dots in the beginning on how we met. And we met years ago because your older sister, Leslie, is a very good friend of mine. Yes. But along the way, you and I had crossed paths at different events that she had put together. And, you know, through social media, we've sort of kept connected. And uh, But over the years, I've always really loved your energy and your spirit, and we've gotten to know each other this summer, and you've been coming in for sound therapy sessions, so mm-hmm. yeah, we, we've gotten to know each other quite well. It's been wonderful. Yeah, it's uh, been so great. It's been a great time as well. Also, uh, I just got my wisdom teeth taken out, so I'm a little loopy, so hopefully I'm articulate here. Um, yeah, I've always really loved your energy as well. Um, and I'm happy to say that this summer I've gotten to know you a lot better. And it's it's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Very positive energy. And that's what I'm looking for in life right yeah, now. Yeah, no, I, I feel I feel the same. So it's, it's great. It's great to <laughs> know you more and have you here and listen to more of your story and your family story. Sure. Yeah. So tell me about your family, your grandparents... They were from North Korea. Yes, so this is these are some crazy stories that uh, we've never shared outside of the family before. Um, both my parents are, uh, their parents are North Korean. Um, my mom's side, her mother was the daughter of a quite high-ranking government official in North Korea, and she fell in love with this orphan boy um, that she was forbidden to basically fall in love with. So 
they went and eloped, and he was this uneducated, poor orphan boy who didn't even know how to read. Um, they have a true love story, basically. He worked at a bookstore, taught himself how to read and write in Korean. Uh, when they wanted to start a family, they, they sent their kids over to uh, Toronto. So I would say they're super lucky because we're cut off from her part of the family completely and have no contact with them. Mm. My dad's side is has a bit of bit more aggressive side to the story. Um, they were based in North Korea, and when tensions arose through the border, that's when uh, my dad's grandfather decided to send his son, so my dad's dad, uh, to the South and to fight for the South Korean army, where he was a colonel of the, of the uh, army. So um, their neighbors in North Korea apparently ratted them out to the government. So my dad's grandfather was shot and killed. His land was taken. Um, my father was sent to boarding school in Hong Kong to be away from it all. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's a dark, dark story. My dad's mom was born an identical twin and in North Korea that is apparently evil, bad luck or a curse. So from birth she was split from her twin and she grew up uh, in Japan where she was born and raised and spoke Japanese. All that madness is now behind us because both my parents and their siblings have successfully immigrated to Canada since then. Um, but that is what they grew up with, which mm. I think is should be a movie or something. Yeah. Um, so we used to get letters from our family in North Korea, handwritten with black and white photos. This was when I was younger, for sure. Um, and in 1992, so I was still a baby, the Red Cross partnered with the North Korean government to allow expatriates to visit their family within like a couple month window only. So my mom's, so my grandparents didn't end up going back. Um, my mom's parents remember bringing a McDonald's Happy Meal toy as a gift for all their nieces and nephews. And these kids, they said, were so malnourished. Uh, there was a cousin who was twice my sister Leslie's age, uh, who was half her height. And um, my, my grandparents said their brothers and sisters all had hunched backs from malnutrition, shrunken bones. Uh, they had not enough food to eat. The kids were happy because the uh, Happy Meals toys were their first toys they've ever had. They fell asleep uh, clutching the toy in their hands, they said. Mm. Um, so after that reunion, um, we've co lost complete touch with them. When, when you think about this story of your of your family and what they've had to go through um what how does that make you feel that's interesting because i i don't want to sound too distant or disconnected from it but i completely don't relate to any any stories like that um my north korean heritage was also hidden from me until i was about 14 um i grew up thinking we were south korean i think because my parents just didn't want to share complicated stories or have me running around school telling people this just to be safe you know mm. um i'm proud because it's 
it's the hermit kingdom today. I think even if I wasn't North Korean, I would be extremely invested in what was going on there because it's, you hear of a lot of atrocities, you hear of crazy totalitarian dictatorships and it, I can't help but be fascinated. Um, I can share though that it's my dad's lifetime dream to see unification in his lifetime. Mm. Uh, so hopefully something happens there. Mm-hmm. Not sure if you know this, but if you go to South Korea, uh, people aren't very concerned. It's kind of um, just a, it's not even a secret. People just continue their lives, not really caring about what's happening next door. Mm. Um, but so many ger- generations have been affected by this. Mm-hmm. Where where do you think that, I'm, I'm curious as to um, why the South has that sort of attitude toward it. I think it's just because they've been at a standstill. They're in an official ceasefire um, war status right now. Mm -hmm. And South Korea has just progressed economically, uh, you know, technology. They're super advanced. Their society there that I think they've just went off and carved their own path, really. Mm. Um, Not to say that there are definitely people who want to connect with lost family members and relatives, but they've just, uh, you know, continued life thinking mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that's that's just something that happens next door. Right, right. And that yeah. that's, maybe it's not possible to see family that they have exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. So It's almost like a complacency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you were talking about the South being so technologically advanced and it's yes. Seoul is an incredible incredible city yes. and I was impressed by so many things I I actually I don't know if I told you this but on the on the last day I was having an allergic reaction to something so um my last night in Seoul I actually had to go to the hospital oh, and no. yeah and they were so efficient there I I showed oh, yeah. up I let them know what was happening once we figured out you know of course there was a bit of a language barrier at first mm-hmm. um they got me in, they gave me the shots that I needed for the allergy, and then they made me sit back in the waiting room 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and then they sent me down another hallway, and it led me to um, like a pharmacy window, mm-hmm. and as soon as I got there, they just they slid over a package, and it had just more pills for me to take, more just antihistamine pills, mm-hmm. and my name stamped on the package. <laughs> and I was like, wow, these guys are very efficient in this country. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Korean efficiency. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth uh, anyone's uh, time to, to visit at some point if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me about your parents. They arrived in Toronto to start a new life in Canada, correct? They did. At They inadvertently went to the same high school as well. But... Um, so if I talk about those North Korean stories, that to me is like, you know, a, a period piece movie in my head. Whereas when I think about my parents' stories, um, it's a lot more understandable for me because I, I didn't grow up around war. So they landed in Toronto without, my mom never spoke English before. My dad knew some from Queen's English in Hong Kong. Um, but being completely foreign to this country um being immersed in high school with local kids that 
had never seen Korean people or maybe Asian people before. Um, it's it's so cool to think about what they what they've been through and uh, how far they've come. Yeah, I mean they they have worked. They're such hardworking people. They've yeah. you know established a, a number of extremely successful businesses. And mm -hmm. I would I'd love to learn more about your your mom and and your dad and what they're like. Oh gosh, okay. So I would describe them as very adaptable and very tenacious. And what's beautiful about that is I think that's how uh, the best species survive, really, like survival of the fittest. Um, my parents grew up very traditional Korean, so they had instilled those conservative values, a bit more, you know, sexist roles um, for men and women. Uh, men had to be ambitious and to be the breadwinners and to make money and provide. Um, and that's seriously what my dad devoted his life to. Um, he's a massive workaholic, but what drove him was to be the best, to be the top, and to provide for his family. Um, my mom equally, uh, she had to, you know, give up everything to marry this guy that she didn't really know because at the time they didn't really date. They didn't, you don't, you don't like live with someone before you're married, right? So you have all these surprises while you're first getting to know each other post-marriage. Uh, they got married at their friend's restaurant in Toronto. Uh, and then my dad had a dream to take a loan and to move to British Columbia and start in the forestry business. Mm. Um, that was a huge gamble. They were young immigrants, barely any money. And my mom told me that she remembers crying her eyes out on the plane from Toronto to Vancouver because she basically thought they were throwing their life away mm. for a, for a risk. Um, and, and since then they've, they've really made it successfully. Uh, I want to talk a bit about the adaptability portion because, um, I haven't heard this much from immigrant stories really, but my parents knew how to adapt and integrate with westernized people at very young ages. Mm. So um, if they arrived here as teenagers, they'd already been to high school with Canadian kids. And uh, what's really cool that I'm proud about for them is that they can socially interact with all types of groups in the same setting or individual settings. And I think I owe my... Uh, you know, my uh, social aspects uh, to, to observing them. Mm. So we would have garden parties or dinner parties at our house. Um, they'd be mingling, not just like white and Asian people, but y you know what I mean? Like they, mm -hmm. they really branched out of the Korean community as well. Um, and I saw how, how, how they learned how to connect with people of all types of backgrounds. Mm. And I think that's, that is an immigrant success story in itself. I, I do think so, uh, very much. And and I think when you're new to a country, it probably is very easy just to stay with what's safe and comfortable, which is your, your yes. own culture. So mm -hmm. it does take a lot of bravery and foresight, I think, to, to do that. 
Mm. Mm-hmm. And that tenacity too. That's and that grit. It seems very Korean. I mean, very Asian, but very Korean. It is. <laughs> um, a lot of people would say that Koreans got the short end of the stick a lot of the times. You know, they were invaded by Japan. Um, they had a lot of their inventions. You know. Claimed by others. I don't know if you knew that porcelain China was actually invented in Korea. Today it's called fine bone China, though. Ah. They, they Koreans feel a little bit slighted mm. a lot of the times throughout history. Um, but um, that's what I think. They, that's how I think they've survived. They're just so tenacious. Right. Right. And yeah. Did you grow up in a household um, that was very Korean, or was it a blend between, you know? The, the West here and and your own culture, your background? Definitely a blend. Um, I grew up with traditional Korean customs like New Year's parties where you wear the mm, dress and yes. you're bowing for money. The um, hanbok, right? Yes, the yeah. hanbok. Uh, even going to temples. Um, my dad's side is Christian. My mom's side is Buddhist and we didn't grow up with a religion, but we were exposed to it all. Um, but that, that's actually how I would describe my childhood, is I wasn't deeply rooted in a cultural identity. I was exposed to a lot. Mm. And that's why I'm very happy with my childhood here, actually. Yeah. Um, grew up with different types of people. I, I... I'm sorry if this goes against the main narrative, but I was never made fun of, bullied. I never had smelly lunches that made people grossed out. I, I, I only had people around me that were interested to getting to know uh, my Korean heritage, but I, I'm very lucky to say mm-hmm. that I, I didn't experience that much racism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've been able to grow and flourish into an individual that wants uh, unity and positivity for the world. And um, <laughs> I very I, much agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't mean to knock this like um, narrative down because everyone has their own experiences, of course, and racism is horrible. Um, I just see my parents are so extra patriotic of being Korean like their favorite soccer team will be because there's the one Korean guy in it. And it's not because they feel for that team or that country, you know, Tottenham mm. Hotspurs, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> park is great. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I, I think that's more like they have truly blinded uh, patriotism, which is amazing. Like, good for them. They, they love to represent Korea. Um, and I find that I don't, have that because you know my favorite team will be because I really feel the players or mm. you know like I love team Canada and cheering for Canada because we're also multicultural mm-hmm. um, I hope that answers your question correctly yeah you know I'm curious you you were talking about this extra patriotism mm-hmm. um, that your fam- your parents feel toward Korea do do they miss home they do uh i would say they do culturally um Mm. so korea the reason why they are full canadian citizens is is because the north uh, sorry south korean government does not allow dual citizenship Uh, it's the same for japan um 
Yeah. He, um, so they love Canada for the quality of life and they love going to Korea for the efficiency, mm. the service, the customs, um, being around like-minded people and of course the food. Yes. But I think we're all pretty much Canadians by heart now. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm now curious about you and what were you like as a child? This is an easy answer. I was very shy, very quiet, very observant. Um, I was a voracious reader, read a lot of books, a lot of books, um, because I didn't find I made my real friends until after university. Mm, mm -hmm. And that's okay, not complaining. Everyone grows at their own pace, but um, I'm the middle child of three girls. I'm very type B, relaxed, uh, creative, disorganized. Um, and so having that position in family made me uh, look inward a lot. So I was a quiet observer, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember you saying that you were um, quite the, the bookworm and yeah. started kind of coming out of your shell in your teens, like a little bit more. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And as a teenager, what were you like? <laughs> um, too focused on being good, <laughs> mm. living by the rules. Um, I had not come out of my shell yet. When I think of high school, I think of, you know, I was just a kid that didn't know how to be myself yet. I didn't have a voice yet. Uh, that's why I just buried myself in fantasy and sci-fi books a lot because I was super imaginative. Um, would get in a lot of trouble for daydreaming a lot mm. uh, when I wasn't supposed to. Um, so there's a lot going on in my head. Yeah, yeah. And I love story building and storytelling and um, imagining world building. So, so creative. I guess so. Yeah, creativity. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because you've always struck me as someone who marches to the beat of her own drum. Oh, really? Yeah. Thank and, you. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, do you think you get that from mom or dad or is that something that's entirely your own? <laughs> Definitely some bits of my mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just want to mention that to my mom, even though my parents grew up with those traditional sexist roles, she really was master chef, cook, cleaning lady. Um, and ever since we grew up, went to university and she passed menopause, I've seen a new version of her where she's independent, autonomous, very free spirited, and she can't stop laughing. Mm. <laughs> she, she had her dark moments throughout her life, but at her today, she is full of life and laughter. And I think she <laughs> like laughs too immaturely uh, <laughs> than than most 60 year old women <laughs> today. So I shout out Mrs. Kim. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's where I would she get is very smiley. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think anyone could structure her into confined rules. Mm. So that's, I think the free spirit in nature comes from her for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, she's a, she's a very, very lovely lady. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And now as an adult, I know you and I have, have had offline conversations about your, your relationship, my relationship to the idea, idea of um, identity and where you come from. And then I know in the past you've mentioned wanting to learn more and more about your roots. So I'd love to explore Mm-hmm. your relationship to identity now and and how you identify and what you identify with i i honestly identify myself as this ever growing ever changing i guess being um that continues to grow and experience more things every year that that will challenge my identity from the past. Mm. Um, I don't mean to sound uh, like overly complicated about this answer, but I'm get I get really triggered about uh, the word identity because of how much identity politics has really, um, you know, come into our social consciousness. And you know, everyone should live however they should, however they want to. Everyone is free. Um, and everyone should be free, but, um, I don't feel right to say, like, I am a Korean Canadian woman, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like that's me just ticking off a, a, a questionnaire from the government or something. Mm. Um, I feel my identity just is someone who just wants to be positive and to grow and and uh, to learn and to be wiser. And I think each year as I get older, I become happier with who I am, mm. whoever I am, because I'm, I'm still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so identity is not mm-hmm. a box for you. It's It sounds no. like it's just your identity is just Ashley. Yeah, if that makes sense. No, no. I think that's I think that's a wonderful way to look at identity, actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'm still figuring it out. Um, I feel like I had so many phases in my life. You know, like as a kid, you, you have the tomboy phase or you go through your nerdy bookworm phase or your party phase. And I'm still trying to see what, the big overarching person is mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yet to be unlayered and will yeah. and will always be throughout life mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. mm. I'd love to explore your career because it's it's been an interesting interesting one and it's taken you to sure. to different places and uh, so you were an editor at Hypebeast for a yes. while and you lived in Hong Kong a number of years doing that Mm -hmm. and then you spent time in London and you were working operations at a shipping company (laughs) which I'd love to we've talked about that I'd love to to share with readers exactly what you're doing because I think it was fascinating (laughs) Uh, you were an editor at Sneeze magazine and then you were a creative and editorial um, consultant for a startup studio founded in partnership with CAA that was based here in Vancouver, which was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And and CAA, for people who don't know, is one of the major talent agencies in LA and has been for, for decades. And now you are an art director at Essence. Tell me about this journey. Oh, gosh. Okay. 
I, again, back to my uh, Korean parents, I was being pushed to go into, you know, economics, law, you know, like the hard degrees. And I went to psych, uh, sorry, Western with a degree in economics. I couldn't fail it more. I just did not get it. Like all these analytical left brain, um, you know, topics, like subjects wouldn't, would not work with me. I just didn't get it. So uh, I switched my degree to a psychology degree, graduated, still confused about what I was doing. Um, and also, by the way, I had grown up doing uh, visual arts. So I did a lot of fine arts and I was still under the belief that I couldn't make that into a viable career. Mm. So painting, drawing, all that was uh, all my extracurriculars. So I go to Hong Kong because my dad connects me with an internship for a bank, which also couldn't be further away from me. Um, the second I land in Hong Kong, I sign my lease and the bank contacts me saying, we can't have you anymore. Our office is going under renovations. So you can find another job. And that's exactly what I did. I, I went to some UBC or Canadian alumni event, uh, met someone whose brother worked at Hypebeast and they said, why don't you go for an interview? And uh, so I started as an editorial intern at Hypebeast. That was my first ever job and something I credit as like my, my first foot in the door to the creative industry, which has now defined my career path. Mm-hmm. And that's something I will never regret doing because I was free from, uh, you know, my parents pushing me somewhere and uh, it really started my whole journey. Yeah, yeah. And then London, your job there was yeah. quite fascinating. <laughs> my, I uh, followed an ex-boyfriend to London because he had a job transfer and I got a job as a vessel operator at NYK Group Europe, which is... Japan's oldest company and it's the oldest shipping company in the world mm-hmm. um, importing and exporting cars so <laughs> it's funny because in my my job now my boss was like can you please explain this random blip <laughs> in your career I was like very happy to um, a vessel operator is someone who's like control paneling at the computer and constantly on the phone emailing and talking to captains of vessels so I'd be on I'd you know check out the weather reports or check out port congestion or um, you know liaise birthing time for the ship and I'd call them and say good day captain this is Ashley your operator speaking like there's gonna be high winds coming soon so why don't you dock to the side I've arranged for you to be at this berth uh, for eight <laughs> hours until the storm subsides. amazing. It was actually <laughs> amazing. Um, it was super, super fun. Honestly, I, I would say one of the best jobs I've ever had. Yeah. Um, definitely, uh, yeah. And international shipping accounts for most of the global imports in, around the world, too. So mm. there was a lot to learn as well. History of routes. Yeah. You know, where the pirates go. Right, yeah. right. And also, too, cool. do you remember when that 
that um, ship this year got stuck in one of the major yes, canals. Yes, in the Suez Canal. Yeah. Yes, yes. And it, apparently it's it's backed up shipping for, I mean, the, the domino effect the trade, of that, yeah. the trade and, and the money. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's, Definitely. it's stuff we don't think about. But like you said, there's a ton of history. Yeah, and it's into the roots and it's always how happening. it operates. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the uh, it's really a collective of people from around the world speaking different languages, like all making this huge network work. Right, it's very cool, actually. Mm. <laughs> it um, made me super interested in um, foreign policy, global trade, all of uh, that. Yeah, that's very cool. And then, um, and then you went over to sneeze, and then the startup um, with CAA. Mm-hmm. How was that? So for those two, it was quite short. Uh, sneeze Mag, I did a bunch of copy editing for, but always was a fan of the magazine before. Lots of skateboarding culture. <laughs> um, CAA was interesting because, um, so they had this, basically a tech startup incubator based in Vancouver. So if they had um, an artist or one of their talents wanting to create a a tech product, such as an app, we would have to build it. Um, For example, like Carrie Underwood wanted a fitness app. And so we would build it and hire models and shoot them in Vancouver, you know, doing all the positions, um, have A-B testing, get approval from the board and all that. So... Mm. um, it still exists, right? But just under a different banner? It does. It has a new name. I think it's called Caravan. Mm, mm-hmm. um, they've gone a lot more successful since I left. So yeah. <laughs> after I left. So. <laughs> Maybe that means something. Um, they, that was my first foray into a tech, uh, tech basically, uh, company. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And... You, you can definitely see a clash of thinking, especially when you're um, relying on getting funding from a board as well. Mm. Um, clash of thinking between all parties or specific I think, parties? Uh, again, it's right versus left brain again. So mm. um, without going too into it, it'll be like, Here's an example, actually. So if Google wants to create a product and they have like seven different shades of blue that they want to try out, they will do A-B testing where they'll have a target demographic of customers and they'll survey them. How do you like this shade of blue? They'll do that again for another group of customers for the other shade of blue. Mm. And they'll make sure they gather all the data so that the perfect... uh, they make the perfect choice of blue. Apple will basically say, we think this is the right blue. We're just going to go big with the marketing. Uh, you know, they give a lot more creative control there. Mm. And so I hope that example kind of illustrates yeah. um, the types of thinking on how do, uh, what are the next steps that we should take as a startup? Is it, um, you know, meticulously surveying our target audience making sure that every step makes sense or do we kind of risk it risk it more right put the money in into the one decision we've made hoping that this is going to make a big splash right right more like leading with grand vision exactly Mm. 
Oh, that's really, really fascinating. Yeah, so yeah. I think that uh, that environment taught me a lot about that too because mm -hmm. everyone is so talented, but everyone has different ways of approaching yeah. how a company should go. And there's a lot of risk when you're a startup. Mm. It, everything is on the line. Mm -hmm. So that was very cool environment to uh, experience. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And now you've gone into a job with an mostly e-commerce yes. driven company. Yeah. So you're art directing at Essence, which I know you're saying is a dream, a dream job for you. It is. It actually is my yeah. favorite, favorite job um, I've ever had. Um, Can you tell me exactly or share with our listeners um, what an art director does? Sure. What is their role? So generally an art director will create a grand high level vision and then communicate that to the other teams that are um, in charge of producing that vision and they'll be they'll be available throughout the whole way from start to end to ensure that everything goes according to plan and is according to you know the visual end goal mm. um Sorry, that sounds vague. I can describe this in an e-commerce capacity, which is sure, what I do. yeah. Um, so at Essence, we sell clothes and now <laughs> everything else, which yeah. is home objects, technology, all of that. It's ever expanding. Um, so when the clothes come in for ready-to-wear fashion, Art direction team will basically dictate the casting, so what kind of models go with it, the hair, makeup, the beauty direction for it, the styling notes, what brands can you pair that with, what shoes should I not pair it with, um, the photography, so the lighting, the camera angles, the posing, um, the retouching, uh, so everything from post-production and editing all the way up until how it's posted. Mm -hmm. um, so on e-commerce, that's basically it. It's all these different teams working together in a symbiotic way. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get to exercise um, that sort of creative brain of yours, but mm -hmm. al also your ability, because you were writing for so long, to storytell, but through a different medium now. Now it's through, through images. And um, mm -hmm. that's exactly how my boss, Cam, she's the uh, senior art director there. Uh, basically hired me for that. She was intrigued to get someone with an editorial background because communication is a huge component in in being an art director um, because you're managing so many different parts mm -hmm. to try and come together for that gr final vision. Um, and you're also working with such talented artists and individuals you know, you want to listen, you want to give some people the stage to listen to their their uh, opinions on something. It's really fun to get the team involved and to have their voices be heard as well because you want to bounce ideas off more people than to just, you know, be this solitary lighthouse by yourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, or maybe that is my style <laughs> specifically. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's nice to soundboard off of other people. Yeah. And other people have different experiences, so yeah. it's great to hear their perspective and find that integration mm -hmm. point if there can be. And uh, I'd say one of the other qualities that makes a good art director is to know where your strengths and weaknesses lie. 
So I personally don't have the technical know-how of specific camera bodies and photography, right? So um, I love pulling the photographer in and asking for their expert advice on how to achieve, you know, how do we shoot a large tent in a small room? <laughs> mm. mm -hmm. Where do you think the softbox should go? How do you think the lighting is? What's the feedback looking like? Um, it's it's so nice to just uh, be able to pull on someone when you know that you have a weakness there. Right. You don't right. want to just pretend that you know everything. No, of course not. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's like they like they say it's smarter to to ask questions than than not right exactly. and there's probably lots of other people in the room that want to ask the same question exactly and sometimes you just need the brave person to be like hey I'm not sure but I don't really get this can someone explain mm -hmm. um but I did I did hear from you I think through conversations with you but also through reading like business of fashion and and some of those those other publications that that Essence is very good at hiring people who are good at what they're do what they do um because the owners don't come necessarily from a fashion background, yes. but they've built such a talented team around them that the brand has just taken this form of its, of its own and has become a voice in the space, mm -hmm. like a leading voice. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the main reasons why I love working there. Uh, they, they really do pick really good talent and then they they retain them because they they support them so well um the company was founded by three brothers who are palestinian refugees from syria they immigrated to montreal uh the company was basically a thesis idea for one of the brothers is um a th thesis for master's degree and since then you know they they aren't like super into fashion themselves, but you uh, said it correctly that they just built the best team of the best creatives to run the show for them. And they still manage the, you know, tech, financial and creative vision, mm. high level decisions and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm so happy being there because I'm a right brained creative that is given structure and mm. I love that it's not for everybody but you know I almost like gave up on the fashion industry before this job because I was so fed up with the you know disorganized chaos the exploitation of workers you know the low pay and no benefits it's that's rampant in the industry and I finally found a place where it's professional um, they take care of us. It provides the organized structure, but I'm I'm able to freely only be creative. Mm. You were mentioning your boss, Cam. Yeah. And I know that she has been a wonderful mentor to you. Uh, Absolutely. What, what makes what makes her such a great mentor? <laughs> Cam. Okay, so she is fully the first mentor I've ever had in my life. Is she someone who? cares about my growth outside of work she, as well as inside she cares about um, who I am as a person um, she is probably the strongest communicator I have ever witnessed mm. um, she knows like relating to my parents being ad adaptable um, 
Cam's superpower is that she is adaptable. She uh, is emotionally intuitive and knows how to support someone who may be down or who may be struggling. She knows how to communicate to large groups of people with no qualms or embarrassment at all. She knows how to deliver perfect voice and tone for whatever audience she's with. Um, yeah, very emotionally intuitive. Um, and I think the other strongest suit is that she is a positive reinforcer. So mm. um, <laughs> I, I grew up in a Korean culture where it's very negative reinforcement. You know, if you want someone to do the dishes, you don't ask them, you tell them. You know, like you're not contributing, you're not doing this, like you need to do this. Mm -hmm. It's very um how do you describe that? Like <laughs> that kind of yeah, language. You're sort of you're told. You're just told. You're told yeah. what to do or you're you're motivated by negative reinforcement. Mm. So um I very much learned through my relationship with Cam that I thrive best with positive reinforcement. Um words of encouragement and compliments and uh it just brings out the best in me to feel recognized and good about our work. And it motivate it just motivates me more and more to continue doing better. Mm, that's great. Yeah. And she's here right now, right? She's so. here right now. We're going to have dinner <laughs> after. So that's so great. I'm going to be way too embarrassed to show her <laughs> this podcast. But yeah, she's yeah. great. Well, you know, I, you know, I was saying in, in the beginning that you and I have gotten to know each other a lot more um this mm -hmm. summer and I've seen you go through a lot of growth and it's it's really incredible to watch and um I'm curious to know from you what you feel your your biggest spurt of growth has been for you internally that would have to be this past year um so I'm turning 30 later this year, and I've had a really uh, strange last two years of the, the death of the ego and uh, understanding the type of person I want to be in this lifetime. So what I've basically realized in a nutshell is when we're born and we're growing up as kids, we, we're truly reactive because we're all ego, right? We, I'm hungry, I'm cold, I want this, I don't like that. I'm, you cry if you don't get what you want. Um, and, and it's because you, you're still have these childlike tendencies. And I think I remained that until like my 20s. Uh, I can't even remember being an observer of my own thoughts when I was in, when I was like 18. It's only in my mid-20s when you realize, um, you know, what, what are my flaws? What are my, my issues? Why do I get angry from this and that? Uh, you know, it, y you start to think about You, you know, when you start to just look in the mirror, you look inward and you become introspective about who you are as a person. Um, I don't want to become angry anymore, so 
I should try and process what it is that makes me angry. Mm. And then I can be stronger and not let myself get angry in the future. Mm. Um, I think that's the pattern that I'm basically trying to go through these days. Right. Um, we had that whole crazy year with the pandemic. There was a lot of social unrest, of course. And the negativity I would get off social media would make me, you know, anxious and stressed. I'm sure everyone else did. And um, I think that's what accelerated me, my reflection into this kind of thinking, to be mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. um, we all have stress. Um, I also found a great therapist <laughs> who basically, you know, helped me see that if someone's angry or mean or at you, it's not good to just be angry and mean back. Those people are hurting and everybody is hurting. So the best is to try to, you know, not take it personally. Try and process that they're angry because they're hurting and that's how it's being lashed out. Mm -hmm. And violence, meeting violence never, ever, ever ends well. So I have to be patient and compassionate and calm, understanding, be better with myself and don't worry about uh, getting mad at others. Mm. Well, that's a huge thing, getting to the root of one's triggers. Oh, yeah. Knowing yeah. your triggers, too, is a big one. Mm -hmm. Setting boundaries when you, when you, when you should. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think... Another part of turning 30 is like knowing which friends you want to have around you. Mm. Instead of having a million acquaintances, you want five of the best right. that you like in a 360 degree capacity, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, my dad always told me that when I was younger, but you're just like, oh, I don't fucking care. <laughs> like, you, it, I, It's so weird to say, but you finally understand those mantras once you actually go through it yourself yeah, so i believe that life. everyone's gonna go through this at some some pace yes yes and as you continue to evolve that will mm -hmm. continue to to happen you know people um who may have been sort of in the periphery of your social world may suddenly align with you in ways that you didn't yeah. even know was you know there yeah and so I think that's just some of the the, the beauty of of life it is it mm -hmm. is I think you and I were talking about this but I used to always want some shiny ideal positive utopia and it's just not possible and it's also not right mm -hmm. it's we're all going through this crazy life and it, mm -hmm. we won't know the highs without the lows so yeah I shouldn't uh I shouldn't hate the negative feelings either like my therapist says you can't even eradicate negative feelings it's just not possible so you're mm -hmm. supposed to just be okay with it yeah and to not let it bring you down also you have to be able to move through it and you were talking mm -hmm. about the reactivity time to certain things is like closing that gap of reactivity closing, yeah and understanding that some of these emotions that um, and this is stuff that I've learned through um, my sound therapy certification mm -hmm. about the negative emotions is that actually those negative emotions are good. For example, anger is really a good thing to uh, 
recognize and accept that it's there because anger tells you where your boundaries have mm-hmm. and values have been violated and it allows you to grow. Yeah, it tells you what you care about so deeply that it made you mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a long time to truly understand that statement mm. um, because I used to just think all anger was bad. Yeah. Um, I hope my parents don't get mad at I'm saying this, but Koreans, you know, don't really communicate well. And that's just because by virtue of East Asian cultures don't really recognize emotional health or mental health. It's quite suppressed. Mm. Um, and, you know, their love language is uh, acts of service, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I find that I had to really learn that aspect of myself uh, by myself. And I think that's one of the strongest parts that I would say I identify with is my emotional, uh, I guess the EI, emotional intelligence, um, because that wasn't something that my parents taught me or instilled in me. Mm. I had to observe, get frustrated, question, you know, find a therapist and then just experience life and try to make that fit by Mm. connecting the dots. Mm -hmm. And I hope I continue doing that for the rest of my life. And I hope everyone does too. Yeah. It's so liberating. It is. Yes, it is very liberating. And, you know, um, the last podcast guest that I had, we were, we were talking about these, some similar things and yeah. yeah, And, and um, just about internal growth and um, you know, what I had said in that podcast was, yeah, when you move through the hard things and you get to the other side, you just, you love yourself a little bit more. And I think that's, that's so true. And it's what you're saying too, is like, it's so great when you can like unlayer something and, and recognize Everyone deserves it. to go through it. It's mm. it's so cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, just a couple more questions. I okay. know everyone is busy and you've got a, a dinner to <laughs> to get to. But um, your uh, your family, if there is anything that you could say to your family, your grandparents, your parents, right in this moment, um, about what you appreciate the most about what they've done for you, whether they know it or not, what would you tell them? Hmm. It's like I want to say thank you to these faceless, nameless ancestors, right? Because um, they've all been a part of this like fabric of the story that created my life um what would my lineage be some kind of like mongolian empire (laughs) (laughs) uh down to the you know korean descendants and north korea my north korean grandparents um i would say thank you and and you should be so happy for us because I have the luckiest most privileged life right now and I think they've been through a lot of pain and suffering and I want them to know that it's been so worth it Mm. 
I want to end any generational cycles of abuse or trauma um, and to end that pattern, basically. I think there's mm. one or a few of us in every family to, yes. to who would be lucky to do that. And um, yeah. Is mm. <laughs> that okay? No, I think that's really beautiful. Thanks. And <laughs> your sisters, your sisters Leslie and and Katie. What would you tell them? Oh, I love them. Um, that I love them too. They're we let family stress get in the way of all three of us way too much. But I know that we actually truly love each other. We're actually all best friends. So. Um, we shouldn't change that or mm. forget that. Mm. And my final question, the question I ask everyone, <laughs> with what it is that you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Okay. Um, I'm not one to vie for a legacy after leaving this earth. Like I think we just move on. But the only thing that I would ever, I can think of for this is uh, to truly spread love and positivity, empathy, knowledge. Um, children are the best way to invest in this world. And I th as I said, people are hurting and I think we, there's nothing more I'd want to share with this world than like true positive love mm. um sorry if that was lame too but no. that's that's truly w what i believe right now mm. i think that's wonderful everyone deserves love to to feel it to give it and to be it yeah. <laughs> And uh, I think you're you're such a wonderful soul. I'm so excited to see all of the good things that you are going to do out there, all of the creative things that you're going to be putting out there. <laughs> and um, yeah, I can't wait for more conversations about life, our internal and external lives. Me too. Thank you, May. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you for being here. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes with Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>